Good morning. How you doing? Everybody good? Some of us kind of feel like a pinball machine. We're in the chapel, we're here, um, but it's been fun. It's been a great morning, and uh, thank you for being a part of this incredible ministry. It's just a lot of fun. I have been asked this question over 300 times. What's the greatest challenge in ministry? I've been at dinners, uh, small events, connect groups. Kurt, what's, what's been your greatest challenge in the ministry? The answer will probably surprise you. So people say, well, is, is it leadership? No, that's been kind of fun. I grew up in a home where we did lots of small businesses and things. And so, no, is it juggling like home life and ministry? Is, is your greatest challenge um, like your kids? Your kids didn't sign up for this. You know, you live in a fishbowl. You signed up for it, but your kids didn't. Has that been your, your greatest challenge? Is the greatest challenge like not having enough money to do all the things that God's called you to do? What, what would be your greatest challenge? My, my answer surprises just about everybody. Um, my greatest challenge in ministry has honestly been learning the Bible. If you're a guest today, you're going... I knew we should have gone to the Lutheran church. I, I, just, I, just, I just knew that. I think the Bible is incredibly hard. If anybody says to you the Bible is easy to understand, they've never read it, okay? The Bible is really challenging. How in the world does John the Baptist fit with Paul and Peter and Timothy? And how does gener- you know, the book of Genesis fit to the book of Revelation? And what are Psalms and Proverbs? And who, who's Ecclesiastes? I mean, I think it's hard. Does anybody in the room think it's hard? The Bible's hard? Okay. The Bible's a great challenge. Today, I want to talk about something, though, that's more in my sweet spot, and that is leadership. And leadership is worth fighting for because everybody in the room is a leader. Now, before I lose you, listen carefully. The whole goal this morning is to increase your influence. Leadership is influence. Say that with me. Leadership is influence. A little more passionately. Leadership is influence. And my goal this morning is to increase your influence. Now, why? Why is that important? Well, first of all, everybody in the room is a leader. If you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a dentist, if you're a plumber, if you're a doctor, if you're a lawyer, if you're a salesman, everybody in the room is in leadership. And the goal is, is that Christ then can use you. And the greater influence you have, the more influence you have, the more Jesus Christ can use you. Now, the goal to increase your influence is not just for you. It is for the people who are around you. Because the people who are around you are looking to you, listening to you, following you, watching you carefully. So, Who's in your cone of influence? And I want to talk about this today because if you're a mom, don't you want to influence your kids? If you're a dad, don't you want to influence your kids? I mean, if you're a mom, don't you want to inspire your kids to learn to read and learn to write and help them through the the math facts? I mean, everybody in the room, you are a leader. If you're a grandparent, you are teaching your grandchildren values. If you're a team leader, if you're a business owner, Everybody in the room has influence. And so how do we increase our leadership skills? Because leadership skills equate the ability to influence people. And this is what Jesus did. He told you to go into your world and make disciples. He told you to go into your neighborhood and baptize. 
He told you and me to go into our schools and into our workforces and help to teach everything that God's trying to help them to understand. And so the Great Commission is your commission. The Great Commission is not out there. It's in here, right where you are. And so my goal today at the end of this service is that you will see some specific ways on how you can increase your leadership, which in turn increases your influence, and everybody wins. And you want more influence because you want to impact those grandbabies. And you want more influence because you want to be able to impact your team. You're a coach if you're a teacher. Again, everybody in the room is in leadership. And so I want to start off with five mistakes because the mistakes will sink you. And then we're going to talk about some blind spots. And I think you know these blind spots, and I don't think they'll be a real shock to you. And then we're going to talk about some traits out of the book of Acts. And in the 20th chapter of Acts is where we're going, is the traits on great leadership. So if you haven't downloaded the Harborside app, for goodness sakes, download it quickly. If you don't know how, find somebody about 12, and they'll get it done real quick. And, uh, but get on the app, lots of notes, lots of information. Let's start off today, though, with the mistakes. What do we do? Well, if you want to decrease your influence, um, you just practice the first one, which is you be arrogant. So if you lack humility, that will harm you. That harms you as a leader. Great people of influence are humble. They're skilled, but they're not, they're not arrogant. So if you're, if you're arrogant, you will not have people follow you like Jesus wants them to. Second mistake that we make is we think emotionally. Now, what does that mean? Well, we're not just to think emotionally. We're to also think cognitively. And if you think emotionally first, you will respond in anger. Or you will say something that you regret. Or you will do something that you wish you hadn't have done. And so another mistake that leaders make is they think emotionally. So great leaders think with their head and with their heart. And head and heart are all interwoven together. A third mistake is you avoid conflict. How can a mother avoid conflict? How can a dad not have a hard conversation with a young son? How how can a business leader go through life? And so you know what I've discovered? Some of the best leaders I know weren't comfortable with conflict. They weren't good at conflict, but they became very comfortable with conflict. And it was soft. It was quick. It was kind. Again, if I interviewed everybody in the room, you've grown up in a home where possibly conflict was avoided. Let's just raise your hand a little bit, not real high. Conflict avoided in your home? Anybody? Conflict was explosive in your home. More of you? Okay. How do we get good at conflict? A third mistake, fourth mistake is we take on unnecessary work. And sometimes we do this because we want everybody around us to think how smart we are, how great we are, and really it, it, it prevents us from doing the things that we're supposed to do to, to do them well. A fifth one is you don't have faith in your abilities. I want to tell you that the chapel service that we just finished today, it went really well. At 10 o'clock it was fun, it was exciting, but it was not easy to put on. It was a very far more challenging than, than I thought it would be. And last week we had a practice service and it didn't go like we wanted it to. And all this week, we've worked hard on this. But you know what? I kept telling the team, and the team kept telling each other, we can do this. 
We know we can do this. We can get there because God has given that team the ability, and they did it. They just, they just pulled it off really, really well. Those are mistakes. And if you practice those, it will decrease your influence. Now, let's talk about blind spots. You still with me? All right, here are blind spots. Blind spots of leaders. And again, the goal is that for you to have more influence. One of the blind spots is the know-it-all blind spot. Nobody wants to follow a know-it-all, Right? Because a know-it-all is really bluffing, because nobody knows it all in all areas, and your team knows that. If you're really good with numbers, but you're not good with intrapersonal relationships, or you're really good with intrapersonal relationships, but you're not really good with interpersonal relationships, everybody knows it. And so you're good at some things, but the smart, wise people surround themselves with leaders who have different strengths than you do. And so if you're a know-it-all leader, people will stop following you because they know you don't. Number two, the strategic thinking blind spot. It's, it's, let me use an illustration from a mama. Okay, you're a mom, and you've got a kindergartner, and you've got a third grader, and here comes the bus. There's a difference between operations and strategic thinking. And a lot of people just are so worried about right now in the moment. So a mom's got to fix the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You got to get the apple and the chips in the brown bag and get the kids out the door onto the bus, right? That's operations. But that's not strategic thinking. I'm worried about the peanut butter and jelly sandwich because the bus is coming. But now, what is my daughter good at? What is my son good at? Just apply this to business. I got to get this payroll thing done, but where the heck are we headed? So, so the mom's got all these you know, things to do, but she doesn't take the time to think about these are her bents. These are her strengths. I'll never forget the day that Emily and I are coming in from about, 20, about seven or eight miles. We have 60 sea bass. Emily and I, she was 15 years old. 60 sea bass. We come in together in the Marker One Marina. And I said to Emily, do you want to clean the boat? Do you want to clean the fish? (laughs) Knowing she'd say, clean the boat. She said, show me how to clean some of those fish. She butchered the first two. And after that, she cleaned the rest with the precision of a surgeon. And after all these years now, she's a stranding biologist for Clearwater Marine Aquarium. And um, it's just amazing to see what's here, but also what's out here. That's a blind spot if you're only thinking about today and not tomorrow, strategically. It's the unbalanced blind spot. Things are working, but are they working well? And it's just talking about the balance in your life. The next one is the assumption blind spot. How many of you used to assume that everybody on your team thought just like you? Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? How many of you as parents assume that your kids would think just like you. Come on, fess up. I'm not the only one in the room, all right? And and, and then you discover maybe nobody thinks like you do, right? And so the assumption is people are going to make decisions like you would. People are going to think like you would. People are going to act like you would. People are going to react like you would. Leaders realize we've got to aggressively collaborate because everybody thinks differently on your team, in your family, your kids. And then the stuck in the past blind spot, and that simply is because, you know, I did this, this well for 12 years this way. I think it's going to work well today in the 21st century, and it might and it might not. Just because it worked in the past doesn't mean it's going to work necessarily today, okay? So those are all blind spots. Now, I want to talk about these nine traits. 
So again, if you've got your app, we're going to work on these different nine traits, all in the book of Acts. It's really cool. They all come from Acts chapter 20, and here's nine different traits that will guarantee to make you a better leader. And the goal is not just your leadership. What's the goal today? It's your influence. Okay, I'm going to try that one more time. The goal today is not just your leadership. The goal today is your it's your influence. That's exactly right. So the first one that great leaders have is a heart for ministry. There's a heart for ministry. I care. I want to influence. I want to impact. I want to make a difference. I want to get involved. Here's the Apostle Paul talking about a heart for ministry. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said goodbye, and he set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people. He has a heart for the people. And he finally arrived in Greece. Now, this wasn't easy, but he has a heart for the people. Here's a second trait. Having a spirit of tenacity. I have never found ministry easy. I have never found influencing people to be just quick and, and, and calm and convenient. I've never found that. Ministry is always Pushing the wheelbarrow uphill, it's always, there's, there's forces always working against you. But here's a spirit of tenacity from the Apostle Paul. He stayed three months, that's a long time, because some Jews had plotted against him just as he was about to sail for Syria. He decided to go back through Macedonia. He was accompanied by Sopater of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secondus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also. Also, Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed for seven days, seven days, five days, three months, all these different locations. Was any of this travel easy? Do some of you travel every week on business or once a month? Now, that's not easy. But it's a spirit of tenacity that you've got to get where you're going to go. It's not always easy to get there, is it? Here's another trait. They're also filled with energy. And I love the Apostle Paul's energy. They're just an energy with Paul. Here's what it says. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept, talking, he, he kept on talking. This is funny. In other words, the preacher's talking too long. You've never thought that about me, have you? And so he just talked on until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. Paul put the guy into a deep sleep. And the next verse we're going to see, Paul killed him. The sermon killed him. He actually talked too long. Who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Even the author Luke is going, the sermon was like way too long. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground, this is Eutychus, from the third story, and was picked up dead. It's a great story, isn't it? Okay. I hope I never do that to anybody in the room. All right. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Now, you, now the service would be over, right? I mean, if somebody croaks right now, you know, in one of these rows, we're probably done. Not Paul. Paul goes down, lays on top of him, raises the brother from the dead, and keeps on preaching. Don't be alarmed, he said. In other words, I got more to say. He's alive. They're going, what? Okay, well, I'll go home. No. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and ate, and after talking until daylight, he preached another six or seven hours. Unbelievable. All right, we won't do that. But he had energy. 
But he had integrity. You got to have integrity. Nobody will follow you if you don't have integrity. If you're not honest, if you're not genuine, if you're not trustworthy, you, you want to have integrity, and it boosts your influence. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus, giving glory to God. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Listen to his integrity. Listen to the aim of his life. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And that's what he did. He lived a life of great integrity. Another trait in the book of Acts, the 20th chapter, is is great leaders are marked by humility. And why wouldn't we be marked by humility? God gave you your gifts. If you're good with people, if you're good with numbers, if you're good with strategy, if you're good with operations, if you're good with linguistics, if you're good with music, if you're good with visual, spatial, why, why wouldn't we be marked with humility? God's the one who's given it to us. God gave us those gifts, and God gave us those abilities. So here's the verses. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing. So here's his humility. He said, You all know this. You know that I cared about, about this. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would not be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I like the next one. Speak honestly. Isn't it refreshing when you feel like you can actually trust somebody? You're having a conversation, maybe a hard conversation, but you get the impression that they're actually telling the truth. How refreshing that is. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, I declare to you that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. I mean, aren't there parts of the Bible you just like to clip out? Am I the only one that thinks like that? Okay, I am. All right. Um, But he, he says, I can't do that. I have to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come to you. So not only am I going to teach you the whole will of God, I'm going to tell you there's going to be trouble. I'm going to speak honestly to you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And they will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. In other words, he said, I'm just going to level with you. Another trait is, as I like this about Paul, though he was the greatest Christian outside of Jesus Christ who ever lived, he always had authority. He was always under authority. That's your umbrella. Remember the umbrellas last week we talked about, the umbrellas of protection? This is always your umbrella of protection when you're under God's authority. And Paul was always under authority. Here's what he said. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you day and night with my tears. Now commit to, to, I commit to God and the word of his grace, which can build you up. I'm under the authority of God, and I'm under the authority of the word of his grace. I won't step outside of the word, and I won't step beyond what God's will is. I will come under his umbrella of protection and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Now I like this next one because this is an interesting one. 
We want people who are generous, but in order to be generous, you have to have industry. And what Paul is saying is, great leaders are industrious first. They're industrious so that they can be generous. It's pretty hard to be generous without being industrious. Now, you can be industrious and not be generous, right? But Paul is saying, I worked hard so I could help the weak. I worked hard so we could help the poor. And so Paul now locks together industry and generosity. Here's what he says. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. See, here's the industry. Great leaders have industry so they can be generous. You want both. You don't want one without the other. These, these marry each other. So the words of the Lord Jesus himself said this, it's more blessed to give than to receive, which is really interesting because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John never quote Jesus saying this. But at the end of the Gospel of John, he, John says, if we took all the words of Jesus, all the books of Jesus, the libraries of the world wouldn't even be able to hold them. Here's one of those examples that we see out of the book of Acts that Jesus said. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But the only way we know that is in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, verse 35. And so it's really cool to see another one of those quotes of Jesus later on in life that aren't even in the Gospels in our New Testament uh, canon. This one's where, you're, where we're headed to, though, is leaders are followed. And as believers, people will follow you because of the Jesus in you. And so he's followed passionately. Listen to what they said about Paul. When Paul finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. And they wept as they embraced him and they kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then he accompanied them to the ship. Because what, what they want to do here is Paul wants people to follow Jesus in him. Now, that's the difference. People in the world want to be followed. But as believers, we want people to follow Jesus who happens to live inside of us. Big, big difference. Several months ago, I told you about a little boy named John O'Leary who at age nine played with gasoline and he caught himself on fire, burned up the garage, blew up the house, and it was covered with 100% burns. Do you remember that? I told you about John O'Leary several months ago. Well, John O'Leary, now 30 years later, is making a speech at the Alabama Power Company. And they're honoring John O'Leary, the president of the company, because he'd been there for months doing training. And John O'Leary told the story about when he was in the hospital that Nurse Roy would come into his room every day. And Nurse Roy would say, boy, you're going to walk again, and I'm going to walk with you. And Nurse Roy would pick him up. Again, he couldn't move anything, skin completely tight. None of his joints were working, no bending. And Nurse Roy would just basically drag John O'Leary around the hospital burn unit, the corridors. But every day, Nurse Roy would walk in the room and say, boy, you're going to walk again, and I'm going to walk with you. 30 years later, at the Alabama Power Company, the president said, what did that nurse, what was his name? Nurse Roy. What did Nurse Roy say to you? He said, boy, you're going to walk again, and I'm going to walk with you. Now, how did he say it? And about that time, a microphone clicked on, and it was Nurse Roy. And Nurse Roy said, boy, I told you you're going to walk again. And I told you I was going to walk with you. 
And John O'Leary said, I looked up, hadn't seen him in 30 years, and there was Nurse Roy. He said, he hadn't changed a bit. He still looked just like Apollo Creed. (laughs) And after the dinner, Nurse Roy sat down with John O'Leary, and he said to John, John, what amazes me the most about all this is not the fact that you got married and had four kids, and you're now an incredible motivational speaker all over the world. What's, what's impressed me the most is I never knew I mattered. I, I was on the burn unit for 10 years. I left the burn unit because I didn't think I mattered. I told you about Jack Buck, not Joe Buck. Joe Buck did the World Series just a couple days ago. This is his father, Jack Buck. Jack Buck was an announcer for the St. Louis Cardinals for over 40 years. And Jack Buck found out about this little boy getting burned from head to toe. And he goes into the hospital room, didn't know John O'Leary, didn't know the O'Learys, just heard about it, goes in the room, and he meets this little boy, 100% burned, goes back out and starts weeping in the center of the corridor of this nurse's unit on the burn unit. And they come around him, the nurses come around him, and Jack Buck says, will he live? They said, no, he won't live. He's been burned 100% of his body. And Jack Buck just bawled, buckled over and bawled in the center of that corridor of the burn unit. Regains his composure, goes back into the little boy's room, and he says to John O'Leary, son, you're going to live. I demand it. I demand that you live. And when you get out of this hospital, we're going to have John O'Leary Day at Bush Stadium. And you're going to be up in the announcer's booth with me, and we're going to have a party. And sure enough, five months later, they wheeled John O'Leary in a wheelchair into Bush Stadium. And he's up in the tower there with Jack Buck. Two weeks go by. Jack Buck calls Mrs. O'Leary and said, what else can I do? Great question. What else can I do? And she said, well, because his fingers were all amputated from the knuckle on down, she said, we can't can't get John to write again. He's, He's refused to learn how to write. And so Jack Buck makes a house call, comes to the house, and he says to this little boy, I tell you what we're going to do, John. You're going to write a thank you, and I'm going to send you a baseball. And every baseball I send to you, you're going to write me a thank you note. And one of the St. Louis Cardinal baseball players is going to autograph a baseball. Now, will you write? if you write them a thank you, I'll keep sending you baseballs. That night, he asked for his mother's help. took them two hours to write one simple thank you. She had to help him. She had to go around him. Two hours to write one little note. Sure enough, seven or eight days later... Ozzie Smith signed a baseball to John O'Leary. This went on 60 baseballs, 60 weeks, and John O'Leary learned how to write again. John O'Leary would tell you that as great as Nurse Roy was, an influence on his life, and as great as Jack Buck was on his life, it was his doctor, Dr. Azeen. Dr. Azine would come and visit him every day. 
He was nine years old, five months every day, Dr. Azeen. He said, even though I was mad at him for taking my fingers, he said he was my favorite person of all. Dr. Azeen understood because he'd been burned as a little boy too. He had scars all over his legs, though you couldn't see them because of his suit pants. But he said, when he spoke to me, he understood. And on my last day in the hospital, Dr. Azeen comes into my room, turns my TV off, sits down, clears his throat with emotion. And he said this, John, your recovery is miraculous. I've never seen anything like it in my entire career. But I want you to know that where you go from here, even though these five months have been challenging, the next months and years of your life will probably even be a greater challenge. But I want you to know something, John. You can do almost anything with your life. Now, you may not be able to be a court reporter, but you can be a lawyer or a judge. You may not play professional baseball, but you can be a manager, a coach, or own a team. You may not be able to be a carpenter, but you can build beautiful buildings and houses if you want to. John, the way I see it, you can get married, you can have kids, you can live a great life, but you must rise above this tragedy. You cannot be a victim. You must be a victor over all the challenges of your life. And John O'Leary, after 35-some years now, still is telling everybody about the influence of a two-minute pep talk by his doctor. Who is in your life? What more can I do? Who's around you? God placed you in a home. You might be single. You might be married. He placed you in school. He placed you in work. He placed you in a neighborhood. He placed you in a community. Where can you use your influence to make such a difference to all the people who are around your cone, your sphere of influence? God wants you to have the most amount of influence you possibly can have so that people will ask you about your prayer life and ask you about learning the scriptures and ask you about giving and ask you about serving and ask you about loving and ask you about forgiving. God wants you to have the most leadership skills which equates to influence that you possibly can have. And so we work on this together. And we just be honest and say, you know what? I I got some work to do. So pick one of these mistakes. Which is one of these that maybe, if you're honest, you need to work on. And then you say, well, what do I do next? Well, you get the people around you. You get the right people in your camp, the right people on your team who can help you with your blind spots. And the irony about your blind spots is you already know what your blind spots are. You say, well, Kurt, that doesn't make any sense. If I knew what they were, they wouldn't be a blind spot. Yeah, you're just ignoring them. You know your blind spot because five or six people who are the closest to you have already told you this seven or eight times. So pick, pick one of these that you're going to work on strategically. You're going to work on this. And then just pick one of these that you're just going to just pour on the coal You're going to push it into the red. You're going to go in in the red zone and just make this really a part of who you are. 
is it a heart for ministry? I need more energy. I need more tenacity. I need more integrity. I need honesty. I, need, I want people to follow Christ in me. I want to work hard so I can be generous. I, I need to be more humble. I need to place myself under the authority of Christ. Which, when, you've, when you've picked one of those nine, you stand up, and I'll know you've picked it, and then we'll wrap this up. have the prayer partners come down front right now. If, if you've never given your life to Jesus, this is the place to begin to surrender your life to his. I need a savior. I am a sinner. I need God's help. And so today, if you've never given your life to Christ, this is the place to start, the place to begin. If you've never been baptized into Jesus, Come down front. Talk to one of our prayer partners, and we'll talk to you about Christian baptism. We do have a baptistry here. We'll go to your pool. But whatever it takes, you want to place yourself under his authority. You see, friends, this is a message series called Worth Fighting For. And the whole goal of this is this is worth it, that you increase your leadership skills so you have more influence on the people in your lives. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are the great I am. And we worship you, but we also surrender to you. Now use us. As Jack Buck would say, what, what more can I do? Lord, what, what more can we do? Use us in Jesus' name. Amen.